Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. Finance, investment, technology, and Africa. We cover it all here as we learn the power of zigging where others zag. Rebel with a Purpose, Viola Llewellyn, president and co-founder of Avamba Solutions, is busy building solutions for an alternative financial system serving banks and central banks so that they can better fuel emerging market SMEs with innovative trade compliant finance products. The secret is taking in the nuances of cultures, something many miss. The result? Everybody wins. Viola Llewellyn, co-founder of Zamba. Oh, what a joy to see you and get to spend some time together. Great to be with you, Kate. It's been a while. So oh, there's so much to talk about and uh, just such a range of topics because you have been a rebel with many a purpose, not just one. So I'm really looking forward to, to diving in and doing some deep discovery in some of those areas. But before we get started, I always like to ask people what the path uh, has been for them and what, you know, what that journey has been and how they've ended up where they are. Uh, because I think so often people assume, oh, straight track, I slid down the chute and said, yeah, I'm going to do this. So often not the case. Do you mind sharing a little bit? How did you get to where you are and what's that been like? Wow, it's a great question, Kate. And I keep trying to answer the question with more depth and introspection than the last time. But it all starts with the fact that I don't believe I'm supposed to be here. This is a series of wonderful accidents that now make complete sense. From childhood, I mean, being born in the UK to Cameroonian parents and having to deal with the African perspective of success, which is you will be a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer. And then just finding that I was one of those very loud, chatty girls in school who, um, despite being told, be quiet, I've actually made a living out of talking and explaining and addressing difficult topics around equity, diversification, trade tech, fintech, and why anybody should care about Africa and its route to financial inclusion. So the journey has been um, earmarked by the great people I've met along the way. It's been earmarked by the influences and the things we try to emulate for the African market. And coming into my own and understanding that everything I ever did has brought me to this point, whether it's my belief in uh, genetic engineering, which is what I wanted to be, having worked at IBM as a young 20-year-old, uh, a time when black women were not selling mainframes, multi-million dollar machines, all the way through to working for companies like Rothschild, Unisys Corporation, KPMG, and being the founding member of an investment firm. And then here we are sitting chatting with you. That's basically the journey. Yeah, no, I think you're living the dream, getting paid for talking and just being you. Wouldn't we all love that? So congrats on that. And I think one of the reasons to me why I believe you've had such an impact is that you've got such a broad perspective from that background, right? From everything, as you said, from fintech to peer tech, to from large company to small to um, all over the place. And I think that ability to translate and speak as it were different languages 
right? I think that's part of the problem um, right now when people have been discussing about how do we shift from shareholder economy to a stakeholder economy, it's because people aren't speaking the same they're not hearing each other. And I think folks such as you have such a gift to be able to help people get over that hump. Yes, absolutely. And the phrase that you used earlier immediately made me think of code switching, which is the vernacular that addresses how the internal external language of growth and leadership changes when you're in different situations or with different people, especially as black women, we often have to code switch our way through the continuum of success. Exactly. exactly. You essentially, you are, essentially vertical are vertical chameleon, chameleon. In, many <laughs> in many ways. So now if I'm not mistaken, one of these significant strangers has become a dear friend and your co-founder. Marvin Cole. What's it like working with a friend? It's very interesting. Um, Whenever people ask about how did I end up in America, and I facetiously say I showed up in 1992 on vacation, married people, and just continued from there. And uh, both, <laughs> of my, both of my husbands have been Jamaicans. And my current business partner, and the only business partner I will ever have in this lifetime, is also a Jamaican. So it gets really weird explaining this is my business partner, because in some places, that's your husband. No, that's someone else. <laughs> Similar, but not the same. So working with the person who, when I met Marvin about 11 years ago, we've been inseparable since the day we met. And we are inseparable because this was a human being who had the most in-depth, intense, specific idea about what Africa represents as an opportunity. And I, a member of the diaspora, doing what many of the diasporans do, which is ignore Africa. It's chaotic. You're lucky you escaped. Just stay over here and have a career. But that's what causes the problem for continents like Africa. Everyone's mm. run off. Nobody mm. wants to stick around to fix the problem. So working with my best friend, my brother, my business partner, who's also respected by my husband, gives me such a safe place from which to experiment my way forward through leadership and through innovation. Exactly. exactly. Because of that safety, it's so much easier to take uh, a risk. Absolutely. And risk becomes less risky and you probably are able to overcome and see, you know, it's less fear-based and it comes from more of a place of curiosity and wonder. It also and, and increases a voracious and almost reckless enthusiasm for risk, whereby you realize you're as good as the last risk situation you survived and triumphed. So you go do it again. It's a bit like watching, and I'm going to say some slightly inappropriate things, young white boys on BMX bikes constantly injuring themselves, without forgetting <laughs> what happened the last time. Well, I kind of relate to that now. Yeah, it's like, that's a great, that, that's a great comparison. So you're essentially a risk adrenaline junkie. Of In business. There we go. Good. <laughs> Good qualifier. Okay, so I, I've got to ask, over the last five years, what are some of your, the biggest surprises? Like, I can only imagine the fact that we still have such this incredible gap of inequity when it comes to funding people of color, particularly women of color. I, I mean, what are some of your thoughts on that? I like the way you asked the question, Kate, because it forces me to not give a snap answer. The truth of the matter is the biggest surprise was finding that I was good enough. 
Mm. We are so used to assuming um, black founders, founders of color, women, that it's going to be hard. So you expect to fail. You haven't planned to succeed. And you don't realize that these muscles you've acquired from constantly pushing against the grain actually is more than equipped you to succeed. But you operate a little bit with, um, what is that term they use? Um, Imposter syndrome? That's the word. Exactly. I was going to say the masquerader's mindset, but it's the imposter syndrome. You operate thinking every time you succeeded, it's because something was missed or someone didn't notice and you snuck in. But no, you actually earned that place. The problem is you're constantly looking to see who's not accepting this. And then you're constantly seeking to requalify instead of learning how to say, forget you, I'm here. So I've been surprised at how quickly I've learned to code shift into positively planning for success versus trying to prevent failure. And that's an, it was such an important milestone in this journey. You know, we were talking uh, in another conversation with Jamie Arbib of Rethink X, and that's exactly what he was talking about, the importance of um, mindset shift with regards to climate change. Really, frankly, if we think about it with in regards to probably any large problem, right, that you really need to have to at least first believe that you stand a shot of making some kind of a dent. So in your mind, then, you know, what is something that hasn't happened yet, but you think will? And on the flip side of that, what is something that actually happened faster than you thought? I'm going to answer the second bit first. We expected sure. to be labor and bootstrap ourselves to success for a lot longer. And in some respects, you inadvertently um, hope to do that, thinking that that's the way to look like you're working very hard. It's a little bit like constantly being a starving artist because that's mm. what the look entails. But the thing that has not happened yet is to have a steady increase in the growth milestones that go along with being able to successfully raise capital because the rest of the world hasn't orientated itself to where you're going. For example, I truly believed five years ago that when we were using the term trade tech, that everybody would understand what, what we meant and nobody picked that up until recently. Why did that happen? Because during that imposter syndrome peak of our growth, the communications team that we were working with told us there's no such thing. What does that tell you? That it is not expected for people like me to create an asset class. You're expected to come and play. You're expected to enter the room and adhere to the rules. You are not expected to be an ecosystem creator. Now, the one thing that hasn't happened yet that I really wish had happened was that we were accepted and invested in as an ecosystem integrator changer versus just another trade tech innovator, which is not what we are. So it's forced us to go back to the drawing board with bigger chops than we had when we were first a startup and just basically reinstall this platform. Now, everybody else is saying trade tech but we've been saying this for a long time. I think you need to come up with a next trade tech term. 
and see how how long it takes. You were just you were literally bleeding edge, right? Beyond cutting yes. edge. Yes, and we and, were even uh, saying words right? like present tech, but that didn't take either. It's so funny and it's interesting because seriously, when you take a step back and you look at the numerous milestones that you all have achieved, it's phenomenal, especially in the financial climate and just the whole situation and even the way the impact investing realm and world and how that's shifted. I feel that we are all still woefully short on the whole impact investing front. Very much. Right? And I think... We've been so incredibly self-congratulatory, like, yay, oh, atta girl, atta boy, woohoo. And we're still, I mean, what is it? It's less than, it's, it's a single digit percentage point when of all, you know, money's invested. How can we get people more involved in this? I mean, how do they not, to me, it's such a duh practice. Yes. So how do we get people to, you know, see it as not a risk? I mean, I think not doing it is a huge risk. I think the issue is people view social impact investing as a nice to have and a soft thing done very nicely, often by women, often by individuals who are not captains of industry within the Western construct, so to speak. So when you think about impact investing, it's almost as if people say, after I've invested for property and hardcore development, then if there's anything left over, I'll do a little impact in social investing. And they don't realize, flip that the other way. I've always viewed impact and social investing as something to drive massive amounts of profit because it's equitable. It drives equitable behavior. People don't realize that groups like Ovamba, Islamic Development Bank, and all those others, we're actually an Islamic finance solution that doesn't run around with the word Islamic. So using a system that relies on risk sharing and profit sharing is socially impactful. And it has much deeper, wider spreads of ROI than people realize. I love the fact that, again, something else we fell into and said this works and we stuck with it. So talk a little bit about Avamba and the way your whole system works, because I think it's that's the whole point. It is, it's truly innovative, and you're right. It, if anything, it builds such a stronger foundation across so many different areas, I think. It does. It's at the heart of our thesis and idea that alternative trade finance is a big driver of financial inclusion. When you look at the pyramid and the economic systems in emerging and frontier markets, the individuals at the bottom are dealing with cash. They can't walk into banks and get a loan easily. There are very few algorithms or risk measuring systems to understand them in their reality. And that's why Avamba's risk measuring proprietary system has been so very successful. And it also allows us to help banks who license this technology. So what we're doing is saying businesses that are importing from international domestic areas, you guys have a massive cash flow problem. You and I were talking uh, on another occasion about how commonalities are not just about what's positive and the same. It's also about what's negative and the same. Every business on this planet has a cash flow challenge to address at some point in time. And for the African market, the idea of transferable wealth, liquidity, and growth capital is what you go to the bank for. Unfortunately, the banks are not concerned with wealth generation. 
You know, in fact, neither are NGOs. They're trying to prevent poverty. They're not trying to drive wealth. And that can relate to our conversation about social impact investing as well. Our model says, let's be the glue that fixes the gaps in supply chain and value chain. We buy the goods that customers need and we allow them to buy it back. And our algorithm measures the rotation of inventory on the shelf to understand how much risk can be assessed for a customer seasonally and with the products that they have. Because you can't just say we're doing credit. Africa is leapfrogged credit. We're looking at how do we understand success behavior and what is the genome for success for the African business person? Mm. How can we digitally enable it and leverage it to create the best ecosystem for success? And that's why Sharia finance is really great because when we buy these goods and these customers are buying it back, we're shifting the ownership directly to them. But if the customer fails, what the banks now are beginning to understand is customers not in debt, the goods belong to us to begin with. We're holding them in agency on behalf of our banks, which allows us to shift risk of their balance books. So it's both financially impactful, uh, business impactful and investment impactful because Westerners are now looking at us and saying, oh, wow, this is risk mitigated. It's an asset backed transaction, which they understand. They just have never seen it exist outside of traditional banking. So how did you all come about? that trying to avoid being banks yeah (laughs) well and i figured some of it probably comes from your own individual experiences right okay if you're never going to do this again you can go and just gaze into crystal balls and explain you are so spot on with that comment our experience working with microfinance institutions led us to the shocking awareness that they are using a bunch of spreadsheets They're using technology that has been created outside of Africa's borders. It's got nothing to do with the human beings. I've often said it, and forgive anybody listening who's heard me say this before, you're not going to sit in Chicago and have a bank use a credit model to serve you with banking services that came from Florida. It's going to be specifically created based on who you are, where you are right now, and everything about you from the past. So data aggregation for Africans, we've just partnered with a group called Cyber Alliance that allows us to do data sovereignty and a bunch of other things. These are the capabilities that we talked about, but because of growth constraints, couldn't get that information quickly enough. How do we prove to people that um, data on Africans looks very different from what everybody else expected? So our own personal experiences taught us if we want to create financial inclusion and drive generational wealth that is sustainable from family to family to family, then banking is not going to be the way. What we need to do is help people have more goods to sell and then manage their KPIs and teach them how to be comfortable psychologically with the idea of becoming wealthy. And that last piece is huge. Yeah. And when you add the intersectionality, let's just face it, of women, It's just inbred. It's so deep in the DNA that either I can't be wealthy, I'm afraid of money, I can eat, or I can have money, but then I can't have a family, or I can't have happiness, or I can't have love. It's this really deep ancestral had cancer, frankly. It's a commonality for women, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think that's really true. And again, that goes back to mindset. And healing that. And then with, uh, you know, the other on the flip side of that, that somebody so often 
ends up getting comfortable with being wealthy and they get all the money, but then no sooner do they get it, then they lose it all. So, right. That's so a psychology that digital solutions actually addresses, but we don't, it's, it's considered slightly sappy and almost a female mind behavior to think about um, either the spiritual or the emotional impact of wealth. But we're humans. Otherwise, why are we uh, innovating digital solutions for the human condition? We could go on. We That'll be convo two or three. So get ready, everybody. Rest up. Um, but so what's the reality that we have now that you don't think will be true in five years? Wow, what a question. Um, there are so many different things. For example, in about five years' time, the speed with which a bank will understand an individual versus a market sector, I think that we are finally getting to that point. Um, blockchain and cryptocurrency will no longer be a misnomer and the words being interused and interchanged by people trying to get entry into the digital club by throwing a bunch of words. But I also think that the role of um, African businesses on the global landscape will become something that nobody is hoping for. It would have happened and we're now having to change the way in which we look at global business. I think that's something that will happen within the next five years. That's fantastic. You know, I myself have always thought that in the long run, Africa is going to be the one, I believe, the continent that really drives innovation because of necessity, right? And creativity and understanding and looking at um, materials like thereof in different ways, um, getting really creative, other ways of, frankly, radical collaboration that, let's face it, we're going to, we really I love start what you're saying. Radical right? And I've, I've always, I thought, oh my gosh, if you could get the innovation, amazing. Right? I can go one better than that, Kate, if you'll let me. Please. Everything that is old eventually becomes new. And one of the things that I see as new is at the intersectionality of trade, digital currency, and just the world that we live in now, the natural triangle that was unfortunately created during the time of slavery is coming back. But it's coming back as a nodal triangle between African Americans, West Indians, and Africans, being able to do business together in such a virtual way that it almost has nothing to do with the regulatory environment that we experience today. If we can leverage digital currency, smart contracts, blockchain, the clarity, the visibility, and the absolute assurance that things are what they are, and then Africans get deeper into real manufacturing, the ability to replicate products and services, and distribute very quickly between these three groups, we will have another trading block that is completely different and totally separate from anything that we see today. Forget the fact that there's more of us than there are of others, which right. I think in itself is might that can be leveraged and used very well. But there's also natural resources that can still be used to create excellent products 
at prices that everybody else can afford. Right now, we've got timber being shipped out to one place, manufactured somewhere else, and sold back to the African continent, but the wood came from us to begin with. Or you take any other natural resources, or look what's going on with the shortage of chips right now. Why is that not being made somewhere else? Why is there not an alternative? Why do we not have um, other manufacturing plants especially in the United States. I think America is beginning to see that they may need to go back to vocational schools, teaching a craft and a trade, and having people learn something that can be used and can transition as industries grow in and around them. We need to get there quickly. And this is the thing that I also find frustrating, and I agree completely, is so technology, you know, so many people, friend or foe, I do think it is helpful and it's how we will grow. There's exponential potential, et cetera. But I want to make sure that, you know, I want to educate people and get them reskilled, go back to vocational skill. Again, going back to the decoding or translating. Okay. If I was able to do this, then those skills can translate into this kind of job in this next iteration of the industry that I'm familiar with. And I'm just curious how we can get people more comfortable with it. We often have to run to the extreme just so that the majority can reach the middle. There will always be outliers, first runners, forerunners, and people watch to see where the chips will fall. That's the way markets are occasionally driven. But with digital engagement and the fact that globalization happens right here, right here on your phone, that constant engagement and the speed at which people connect the dots, I think it will start to um, run itself almost like a virtual cycle. As long as people like yourself are still holding podcasts like this, and as long as companies like Avamba continue to fund small and medium enterprises so that they go on and their behavior affects other industries, we'll see this growth and we'll see this change. Hush, from your mouth to all his ears. Um, <laughs> so, what are some topics that you want to make sure that those listening really start thinking about? And it can be anything. It can be business. It can be, you know, the integration of arts. It really runs the gamut. It's just that you want to make sure that people are being intentional about. I think that individuals need to not be so concerned and keep looking at Africa through the lens of poverty and disruption. In the same way that I often get asked, what do you think about China's presence in Africa? And I say, between China and France, I might not like some of the uh, government initiatives or the politics, but the human beings, I've got no problem with. If we can try to understand that no government can control how people choose to engage and do business together, one human being to another, where there's honesty in contracts, where there is respect for engagement. That's got nothing to do with governments. Where the use of blockchain and distributed ledgers and any kind of system that removes immediate and singular control and puts it in the hands of um, individuals or those who are responsibly trying to build ecosystem, we will see true market force engagements shaping what human beings need. I often talk about it's almost pointless to just innovate for the sake of innovation. I've sat on many boards and watched many young innovators come with a startup and realize it's a copycat 
activity based on the fact that it's what everybody else is doing. But what problems have you articulated that you can actually really, really solve? And when that problem's solved, do you know what to do next? Going back to our comment about NGOs, um, if all NGOs were to succeed, they'd be out of business. So I'm sometimes doubtful that their solutions on their own are the answer. They are part of an ecosystem. There's got to be a runway and a graduation to what comes next. How can we be able to know what comes next? And if you don't know what happens next, do you have the ability to pivot in reaction right. to what has been assessed as this ain't going the right way? We've got to change. And that's what people like myself, Marvin, Ovamba, and other teams do. Markets shift and change, and so do we. Do you think that there are certain industries coming up? So, for instance, um, blockchain and the whole token economy and all of that, that will now present, because of the potential equity um, aspect, present greater opportunities for women to really step into um, their own financial power, but also then leadership and really help drive the course, perhaps moving future of certain industries and verticals? The first thing that comes to mind is education. I think there is a diversification in education coming along. I was speaking with my godson, who is an incredibly smart, brilliant young man here in the Maryland area. And just like myself, did not go the university route. I never did. Um, it's been an advantage for me because I'm not hemmed in by what the book said. I'm not hemmed in from the constant repetitious activity of quoting what someone else said. I'm free to think what I want. I'm also free to make mistakes and change on the fly. For women, not having the option to go to university should not be um, the thing that excludes them from success. There will come a time when there will be curated education systems that people can jump in and out in order to address this phase of my career or ambition appetite. And when I've finished with that, I will build upon it to go do something else. We are living longer. We are no longer expected to stay in one company in a career for 40 something years. People are having their children later. Laws are being built around a woman's life arc. After all, we're giving birth to the, the workforce. So therefore, address us and our learning segments in such a way that we're good parents, good partners and spouses, good business um, owners, good business innovators, and anything else that we choose to be afterwards. We are not just one thing. Everything that happens to women um, from the basis of education, upbringing, and exposure to opportunity, the democracy of opportunity, the access to finance, creates the basis for new industries. Because when you've got disposable income and you've got a creative mindset and poverty is something that you can manage and have some control over, then you are free to create. If you're not creating, new industries are not growing, period. That's just it. No, absolutely. I just think it's a fascinating time to be a woman. Oh, right I'm now. absolutely loving it. Well, aren't you? And yes. I just, the tide is turning. The tide is, but yeah. I, will, I, will refrain, I will refrain from that. But what advice would you give to people, to young people getting started? Because I think. Rebel. Aha, 
Rebel, I've actually spoken at the Young African Leaders Initiative and a couple of other groups, and I've said to them, it's very important that you learn how to functionally rebel, and you need certain tools in order to do that. It starts with vision and sight, and then it's followed by courage <laughs> and, and, and being fearless. It also comes with uh, the desire to take responsibility for the mistakes that you're going to make and how to get other people comfortable with the fact that you're about to go off script. You're about to abandon the basis that was given to you. All parents want to bequeath, and I'm a mother, bequeath to their children the tools by which to maximize opportunity. And you might not be able to do that with a traditional education. But what you can do that is the universal equalizer is dream, plan, execute, fail, try again, and learn from the last mistake that you had. So for young people coming up who are innovating, take a look at the big challenges and even look at the incremental ones and be very willing to change your mind once the evidence says this is no longer working or there has been a shift in the change, therefore you must respond accordingly. Be very willing to explain to parents and stakeholders, I don't agree. This is what I think. This is what it will garner. These are the failures I've looked out for. This is what I don't know yet, but I'm not coming to you to bail me out. That's the most important thing. That is huge. Yeah. They're saying that, um, that this year, I think it's 41% of the workforce, era of resignation. The one thing that COVID did was it forced everybody all at once to stop, set, take a beat, exhale, and then really kind of walk out and think about, okay, so what exactly am I doing? Who am I surrounding yeah. myself with? And why exactly? It's like, I, I'm putting so much energy in. Am I, this is an equal exchange of energy. And hence, a lot of people are saying, you know what? I'm not really feeling this so much anymore. People actually want and to be happy. They want to feel well, that and the, the things that they you, do are meaningful. And the fact that you can be, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know I can remember I was a publisher at Fast Company and we did an article all about balance. And the truth is balance is kind of bunk, but it, it's okay because it flows, right? And so it doesn't mean you can't have it all. And there'll be times, that glorious time when it's like, oh, I have it all. Then it eschews to the other side and then to the other side. So... I also just want everyone to realize you actually can have it all. Maybe not yes, all at can. once all the time, right? Exactly. And for women, it's unfortunately, it's a guiding tenant that we've had to grow up with that you mustn't be greedy. You can't have it all. A good woman makes sacrifices. Well, some don't. And that's fine. You can have it all. And the idea of balance isn't about how to stay still for a long time. It's really about how can you swivel on that fulcrum in such a way that you never fall off? And if That's you right. do fall off, that you do get back on. Balance is about a reaction to changes in the physicalities around you. I was going to say inertia, but that's not the only thing. I think all young women should be taught physics right at the very beginning because it lends itself into so many different areas. But you can have it all because you define what all is. For me, for example, right. building wealth isn't mm -hmm. about 
um, so that I can have lots of very large things. It's so that I can have time. I build well so I can put all of my best female friends on a private plane so we can go get our nails done in one particular place, eat and come back again and say we built a memory. Money and time funds that. I want to be able to sit and watch cartoons yep. till I choose not to. That, and, and still have my husband, my grandkids, and everybody else. That's having it all. It's different things for different people. That's the democracy of success. I completely agree. And it's for me, it all boiled down to, I finally got it, was freedom. I want choice. And that's what my mom always said. She always just said, Katie, all I want is for you to have choice and choices. I think and that's what Viola that. Davis said. For women especially, especially black women, just give us an opportunity, give us access. But the thing is, as I've started to to understand, I don't want anyone really giving me. I want to be able to take it. I want to be um, to be awarded in such a way that other people's benchmark of my success is equal to the best benchmark of success anywhere else. Just do not deny me the chance to get it. So it's a really subtle thing, and women are beginning to get very comfortable with um, advocating for self and self-agency in business. And that's what we try to innovate and give to our customers, tools by which to get what you think you deserve. And it was interesting, the other day I was having a conversation with Geraldine White, who's the Chief Diversity Officer over at the Publicist Group. And she was talking and she mentioned a very, and I think you'd enjoy this slide, the nuance between, you know, I don't want a chance, I want opportunity. And I said, wow, unpack that a bit. And she said, so chance means I get one shot and if I blow it, that's it. Which I thought was really lovely um, and really important. It's not one and done. You get an opportunity and that means you've got an opportunity to prove yourself and if it doesn't pan out, there's going to be other opportunities down the line. So to be sure that you aren't tokenizing somebody's opportunity. Wow, that's very right? powerful, Kate. Tokenization is about um, giving people a chance versus the democratic access to opportunity. I, that's something I'm going to tuck away and remember. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I thought you'd enjoy it because it really, I sat with it and it just, it was like, it, it makes so much sense. Okay, so call to action to the world. What's your rebel yell? Give me the money. <laughs> don't show me the money give me the money no um my rallying cry to the world is um digital innovation for the african space and for alternative finance globally is a real and necessary thing these days who is the rallying cry to it's actually to policymakers and to banks credit unions and uh, financial institutions. And what I'm saying to them is, your engagement with fintechs and trade techs is maturing. We're all at the same table today. Many of us have created solutions that will help you to de-risk. And many of us are looking at what's further down the road. And what's further down the road, especially for emerging markets, is it's time to take debt off your balance sheets. It's time to look at poverty through the other end of the lens, not just from, oh, let's make more money available. No, let's have the ability to know and track where capital is, 
how quickly it's moving in the economy, and can we help you to be part of that journey in order to drive wealth? Can we assist you with making sure that the impact of non-performing loans is managed, is minimized, and that the central banks understand what's going on in the cash economy, and that the American citizens are beginning to understand that retail investment in other markets is a necessary part of your retirement. Do you know that um, less than 0.02% of a 401k portfolio has anything to do with Africa, but it's under the heading of international, but it's not, you don't have the specific ability to look at a country and say, I love the direction in which that country is going because the female engagement is driving this percentage of GDP above anything else. So we're not looking at markets from all the different ways in which markets should be viewed. So the rallying cry is revise everything you thought you ever knew. Pay attention to what is going in other sectors. Look out for where you're getting your information from. And ask. Ask questions. questions. Yes. So, so right, Kate. And don't be embarrassed about it. I think that's the bigger thing. And remember, too, you know, Africa is a continent. Yes. That is comprised of many countries. So I'm... <laughs> There are just so many nuances that, oh my gosh, the more that we people could go ask into. questions and the more they learn, the better they will be as ambassadors for the rest of humankind. So well put. Well, Viola Llewellyn, thank you so, so much. I, um, I could go on and on with you. And I have a feeling this is not uh, our last tete-a-tete, my friend. Well, Kate, as long as COVID is getting into the arena of being controlled, then the chances that we'll have a happy hour or a coffee to continue fixing the world's problems is, is more likely than not. And I would love that opportunity. Wonderful. I look forward to it. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for, frankly, as you said, rebelling. And really coming up with new markets and questioning and shaking and, and just changing the way we do business, the way we are doing banking and investing uh, for all of your support and just um, for being you and the work that you are doing. I so appreciate it, Kate. You've given us all such a great platform and we appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Until our paths cross again, do take care. This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with James Ehrlich, co-founder of Regen Villages, where we'll talk about the future of community and sustainable living. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 10th to the 13th, 